0: Part of it is staying right here in the moment and not looking too far ahead. If I can do that, I, I can make it through each day. Many caregivers,
1: like Evelyn Emerson, and people living with terminal illness have learned that while it sounds trite, the present, the moment we find ourselves in now, is really the only one that truly matters. The past is gone. The future isn't
0: promised to us. We know what's out there for all of us, not just ALS patients, but all of us have a finite amount of time on this earth. I tried to stay here. This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public
1: Radio News. I'm Kathy Worzer. By his own admission, Bruce Kramer thought about his beloved wife, Ev Emerson, all the time, especially when they first met. He thought she was fun. They would talk for hours, read together, and being musicians, go
2: to concerts. And we'd come out cursing the conductors. And, but in the whole scheme of things, she just had a way of bringing the world into focus for me in a very quiet and yet fun way. And it's st- that remains. That is still there. I, I think about her all the time, and I, I can't imagine not being with her.
0: Well, I, always, I was attracted to Bruce's engagement with life, I think. I was coming out of a music conservatory, and I had vowed I would never marry a musician because they were so boring. All they could talk about was music, and it was so much fun to talk about literature and food and travel and politics and many different things. So I broke my rule and married him. A musician. How could I have done that?"
1: <laughs> Bruce and Ev had been married nearly 25 years when an epic tremor ripped through their relationship. Bruce had been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which not only paralyzes its victims but ultimately kills them. Eve, along with a small army of volunteers and paid caregivers, lovingly tended to Bruce until he died in March of 2015. Minnesota Public Radio News chronicled Kramer's life with ALS in that nearly four-and-a-half-year period of time. Back in the spring of 2012, I sat down with Bruce and Ev for an interview about caregiving. It's estimated that 45 to 65 million Americans provide unpaid care to a loved one. It is by no means an easy job, and Bruce thought it was important to talk about the difficulties caregivers face. It was the first time Ev, who is a private person, agreed to do an interview. Could you paint a picture for me just in terms of how your days go normally at this point?
0: Well at this point mostly it's um, making sure Bruce has his shoes and socks on and his breakfast and his coffee and then he goes to work and then at home after after I come home from a day of school then I cook dinner and um, help him get ready for bed. It's not bad. It's not. It's not a
2: hard burden at this point. When I come home now from work, I, I have a lot more fatigue, and if I'm really fatigued, I'll ask you to help me get out of my clothes and get ready for bed. And I find that I'm asking for that kind of help. It's not something like you. One day you say, "Okay, on that day, we're now going to initiate the next phase of caregiving." It's something that we are just slipping into and um, it's kind of insidious and, and um, it comes in small little doses and then suddenly we're there I, I used to joke about how hard it was to get my socks on I can't put my socks on I just literally cannot do it um, I can't put my shoes on I can't turn my collar down over my tie because the collar is too stiff and my arms cramp up Tying a tie is getting harder and harder, and um, of course I can't walk, and so these are things that they're small things, but they just they they accumulate, and um, and they will continue to accumulate. We we just see it coming.
1: The interview focused on Bruce and Ev's relationship in the face of a terminal illness, but this particular conversation was also important because it marked a turning point in our relationship, a relationship that had been strictly professional and rather detached. During the interview, when we were talking about the changing dynamics of their marriage, I suddenly started to tear up and had to stop the tape recorder. Hang on. (laughs) While I was listening to Ev talk about trying to keep Bruce's dignity intact, even though she was doing more and more of his basic care, I was thinking about the dignity lost by my own father, who at that point was starting a descent into dementia. When the tape was off, as I told them about my dad, all three of us ended up crying. I was mortified that I would cry in front of interview subjects, but it marked a clear change in our own dynamic. The vulnerability, which, while uncomfortable for me, opened up a new level of trust and compassion between all three of us, which led to a much deeper and honest series of radio conversations and a wonderful friendship. That's a bit of the backstory. This was the story listeners heard on July 2nd, 2012. So let's go ahead and do introductions. We'll just go around the table. I'm Liz and my daughter has
0: ALS. And I'm John, and my daughter has ALS also.
1: It's a small group of people gathered around a conference table, but brought closer together by the big challenges of taking care of someone they love who has ALS. Please maintain confidentiality. Who you see and what you hear in group stays here in group. This is one of several support groups for caregivers of people who have ALS, sponsored by the ALS Association of Minnesota, North and South Dakota. It's facilitated by Jennifer Myrie. One of the things I hear the most from people is the frustration, the stress of not being able to predict how this disease is going to progress with their loved one, and the fact that it keeps changing. It's hard for family caregivers and people with ALS to operate in the unknown. ALS doesn't remain static. The continuous deterioration of the body makes it feel as if people with the disease and their caregivers are searching for solid footing amid shifting ground.
0: You have to go up and down and accept that there are going to be days that are really hard and days that aren't. That's Ev Emerson, the wife of Bruce Kramer. She
1: and Bruce, like most families dealing with ALS, find themselves at times riding an
0: emotional
1: roller coaster.
0: I have my days I call my leaky days where it seems like all day long my eyes leak i got to
1: ask, what brings on the leaky days?
0: Oh, sometimes ridiculous things. Sometimes just the smallest thing. Um, I talk about being ambushed by opening a photo album and seeing Bruce in a triathlon, for example. And then it just brings on lots of sad feelings. Something as small as that will start a leaky day. <laughs> but they don't last long, so that's good.
1: Dealing with ALS, you do a lot of processing of emotions, I'm sure, with any disease, especially as a caregiver, how do you? How's it work for you?
0: I tried writing. Bruce enjoys writing to get his feelings out, and I, I can't seem to do that. So, I'm more of the talk therapy kind of person. So, immediately I contacted a grief counselor, and that has been very helpful to me to talk with somebody else in a safe place about my feelings, and that's how I deal with it.
1: The healing power of music has also been helpful. Ev Emerson is a classically trained pianist. A love of music is something both she and Bruce Kramer share. Something else the two share is a strong
0: independent streak, and ALS is teaching them to ask for help when needed. Oh, that is really hard. It is so hard when you're a, a doer for other people. A teacher is what I am. Uh, that's really hard to take help, but. Um, Honestly, we couldn't have made the moves that we've made without lots of help, and I'm so appreciative of that.
2: I've written about this. It's um, it's probably the hardest thing I've had to learn is to, to ask for help. It's a hard thing to do, especially when I I have always been the guy that took care of this family, and that isn't me anymore.
0: Well, I know it's really hard for Bruce to ask me for help, but I. I laugh and say, well, you cooked dinner for me for at least 30 years, so I figure I've got at least 30 years of giving back to do before we're even on an even plane. So I don't think about it as a burden. It's just what you do for somebody you care about.
1: Research shows those who care for people with terminal or chronic illnesses can put their own health, physical and mental health, at risk because of the intense stress associated with caregiving. It's something that has not escaped the notice of Bruce Kramer.
2: Well, (laughs) I think that if you go onto YouTube and you look up caregivers and pair that with ALS as a search term, you can actually find films where it will show pictures of the caregiver pre-diagnosis and then two years in, five years in, eight years in, and they're bent and grayed and haggard, and I look at these things and I look at my beautiful wife and my wonderful kids, and I I don't want to do that to them. So I write about that. Okay, I'm go- I'm reading from a, a blog entry called "The Sum of My Fears." I've been really lucky in my life. I have a great wife, great kids, and great job. When Ev and I got married, we vowed to each other for better or for worse. After my diagnosis, I actually wondered if Ev had any inkling of what was to come. Would she have cast her lot with me?
1: The worry for you, Bruce, is that you're a burden.
2: The worry is that it's hard enough keeping your head, own head above water and you know, getting dressed and ready for the day and, and going out and working in a career, and, but then to have to do that for someone else. Requires uh, an extra degree of planning, an extra degree of thinking through things that normally are just, we just do them. And that is tiring. And then, of course, it changes the dynamics of a relationship. I can't tell you how many times I have thought about the last time I saw of helping somebody get dressed or ready was when our two children were babies. And, you know, I don't think of myself that way, but. It's one of those little thoughts that pops into your head and plays around. And um, at some point, I I have to lose those things. But um, at some point, I think to myself, you know, this isn't what she signed up for.
0: We both signed up for that. Who is to say that I wouldn't have been the sick one? You know, people get cancer. They they have accidents. And I have to trust that had it been me and not you, that um, you would take care of me. That's the deal. You had certain
1: dreams you wanted to fulfill as as people who are together and that there's a loss to that to a certain degree when you have an illness. Have you experienced that and how do you deal with that?
2: I think that in many ways when I write it's about the fact that I have to reframe my dreams and reframe the future that I had projected for me, for us, the fact that it comes so quickly, it's not like you're kind of slipping off gently into that good night. <laughs> when I write, it's taking these, these very simple everyday things that we just take for granted as humans and recognizing that each one of them has greater meaning and that the dreams have to be reframed. Or you drive yourself crazy. So that's what I do. And now um, I think what I am dreaming is I'm hoping I live to be 60. And I'm hoping that in that whole time I will be the person that still gives Ev the energy to go on. And that's not a bad dream. Not at all.
0: Ev? I like the 60. That's a lot better than what we learned from the literature about survival rates. I'll take 60. That sounds good to me. I'll take 65 if you got it in (laughs) you.
1: That's Ev Emerson talking about her husband, Bruce Kramer. On the next Living While Dying, an ALS story, how disease is like a snake.